Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. I've been watching these news programs off and on all day. It's very uh, exhausting to have to listen to the utter ignorance and constitutional illiteracy that is spewed. Executive privilege. What's executive privilege? Executive privilege relates to separation of powers. What's separation of powers? Remember, we have three co-equal branches of government. And when one branch of government tries to seize ground from another branch of government, the other branch of government is expected to fight it. Now, Gerald Nadler is a low IQ individual and a slip and fall lawyer. He happens to be chairman of the House Judiciary Committee because he's been elected to Congress for 25 or 30 years from a dark blue radical Democrat district. That doesn't make him smart. It makes him a congressman. And ladies and gentlemen, the president of the United States will be asserting privileges, whether it's attorney-client privilege, executive privilege, other privileges that exist as a result of past presidents and past, past litigation. Gerald Nadler says, well, the president can't do that now. That time is long past, you see, because he didn't assert privilege uh, over any of his staff or any of the documents who were interviewed by or material received by the special counsel. Now, why is that a completely bogus argument? Anybody know? Because the special counsel was part of the Department of Justice. The Department of Justice is part of the executive branch. The President of the United States in charge of the executive branch. So the President's not going to assert executive privilege against himself. Now it's been done. But it fails. So now Congress has issued subpoenas, will issue subpoenas against the executive branch. Now we're talking about separation of powers. Well, what do they want? Well, they want the president's lawyer. Well, they don't get the president's lawyer. Any more than the president can summon the chief of staff to Mr. Nadler in the House Judiciary Committee with a subpoena to be interviewed by his people. Well, Congress has an oversight responsibility. Well, the President of the United States has an executive responsibility. You understand the point. So, of course, the President can use executive privilege to prevent his former White House counsel from testifying. 
And he must and he should in order to protect the authority of the office of the presidency and the executive branch. Well, he waived it, they keep saying. He waived it because of the Mueller situation. Now you know the answer. Now if you listen to network news, whether it's radio or TV or cable news, you'd have no idea. None. The repeating Gerald Nadler's flip statement, which just shows how stupid Gerald Nadler is. This is a separation of powers issue. A president must be able to talk to his own counsel. And the president must determine who his own counsel can talk to about what they talked about. He never waived executive privilege vis-a-vis another branch of government. Never. He never waived attorney-client privilege vis-a-vis another branch of government. Never. Or the other privileges. Now, I said yesterday, and little birdies are telling me it was burped up again by other talk show hosts today. That's just the way it works. That Mr. McGahn gave 30 hours of testimony. Well, where's the 30 hours of testimony? All we have is a few sentences in this volume two, so-called obstruction part of the Mueller investigation. Why is that? I told you why that is. Because I feel certain that Mueller's team, particularly Andrew Weissman, were pressing hard, Mr. McGahn, in 10 different ways with 10 different types of questions, looking for obstruction. Here they had the lawyer to the President of the United States. That was a gift to the prosecutor's office. A gift. And the prosecutors looked at it as an opportunity. And so they drop a few sentences in the report. And so I asked the question last night. Was this videotaped? Because it often is. Were the 30 hours of interviews with Don McGahn videotaped? If they were, I would encourage the Republicans to go look at it. Unless the president asserts executive privilege. I would encourage the Republicans to look at it. Because I suspect what's in this report is a very small part of what was actually said. And I suspect the rest of it would be enormously helpful to the president of the United States. Do you know why I suspect that? Because it's not in the report. That's why. So executive privilege is asserted not against the executive branch. It's asserted by the executive branch against another branch. And no, executive privilege has not been waived. Long time has not since passed because he hasn't asserted it against the Congress. I want to repeat another point. You have Elijah Cummings of Baltimore. You have Nadler of New York City. You have Schiff of L.A. You have Waters of L.A. You've got Elliot Engel of New York City. You've got Cummings of Baltimore, Pelosi of San Francisco. Those are four cities. Heavy Democrat cities. Go for the Democrat presidential nominee every time. 80, 90 percent. And yet I just named to you the Speaker of the House and the foremost powerful chairman 
who are chasing Trump, trying to chase down the president of the United States. Who are trying to reverse the course of the 2016 presidential election. Who truly seek to suppress the vote of 63 million Americans who voted for this president. Talk about suppressing the vote. Using millions and millions of dollars, as I've said before and again, being regurgitated out there, for opposition research in the 2020 election. The president sees this. They're using our tax dollars. I mean, honestly, some group or Republicans on Capitol Hill ought to file a complaint with the Federal Election Commission about the amount of tax dollars being used by the Democrats on these committees in violation of federal campaign law in order to help whoever the nominee is in their party for president of the United States. Because impeachment is one thing, removal is another. This president will not be removed from office. So this entire, this entire effort is to prevent the president of the United States from winning election, re-election. As I say, it's a coup effort. They tried it legally, pushing a special counsel. And the ball just keeps moving, doesn't it? And the ball just keeps moving. Collusion, obstruction, impeachment. Nonsense. The Democratic chair of the House Oversight Committee, this is Reuters, accused the Trump administration of, quote, a massive, unprecedented, and growing pattern of obstruction, unquote, for ordering federal employees not to comply with congressional investigations. Very clever. He's ordering individuals who work in the executive branch, who provide information to the office of the presidency and to the president himself, not to testify on Capitol Hill about about their conduct with the president. There's no criminal issue here. We know that. He's got a clean bill of health on that. So what do the Democrats want? Embarrassment, opposition research, election points. We're talking, among others, specifically about the gentleman who was in charge of security clearances at the White House. What in the world does Elijah Cummings and his committee have to do with that? The President of the United States decides who works for him. It's amazing to watch the Democrats, isn't it? You have a Democrat running for president by the name of Bernie Sanders who believes the Boston Marathon mass-murdering bomber, the terrorist, should still have the right to vote. You have Kamala Harris who agreed with him. And then reverse course when she realized it wasn't very popular. They think ex-felons should vote. They think ex-felons should be hired. That they should not be discriminated against. So if the President of the United States were to hire an ex-felon, let's say an ex-murderer, would that be a problem for the Democrats? They want the private sector to hire such people. Well, why would it be a problem for the President? Now, I'm just doing that by example. Of course, the president hasn't hired such a person. But they want to know how they got these security clearances cleared. I'll tell you what. 
There are people who Obama old holdovers who weaseled their way, squirreled their way into the federal bureaucracy, who've been blocking this president's efforts to staff his Oval Office, to staff his White House, to staff his government. Mr. Cummings, you're not only a buffoon, you're a saboteur. You know exactly what's taking place. Obstruction. They're building the case of obstruction, you see. I'm telling you, when this sad episode in American history becomes American history, and serious people look back on this, they'll be shocked at the extent of the diabolical, evil activity undertaken by the Democrat Party in collusion with the media. We are very fortunate to have a very courageous president, ladies and gentlemen. We are very fortunate. We're standing up for the Constitution, standing up for separation of powers, standing up for the office of the presidency. Understand, during the criminal investigative period, whereas if he's at risk, that's where he would be personally at risk, he gave them everything. They have nothing. Now, as it's moved over to the political realm, he's saying, uh, I'm not required to give information to these clowns who have as their purpose to use the information to try and smear me. I'm not required to give my tax returns, which I have filed legitimately with the Internal Revenue Service to Gerald Nadler and to Maxine Waters and Adam Schiff and to Elijah Cummings and Elliot Engel, and Nancy Pelosi, what are they going to do with them? But try to score political points and ruin us politically. Why should I do that? Why should I let them talk to my White House counsel, my ex-White House counsel? Why should I let them talk to anybody who advises me? There's a long history in this country that those individuals are not up for grabs by the United States Congress. Or a president can't function. Put the shoe on the other foot. There is no way the Speaker of the House would accept the executive branch subpoenaing any of her staff to provide testimony that has nothing to do with even criminal law. Just because they want to know. Just because they want to know. Nancy Pelosi hasn't offered 10 years of her and her husband's tax returns. Why not? Doesn't the same argument apply? Nancy Pelosi hasn't offered up her bank accounts and records of their deposits and their spending and their check writing and so forth for the world to see. Why not? Why not? Maybe she has a conflict of issues and a conflict of interest. Maybe she's cutting deals with the Russians. Maybe she's cutting deals with the Chinese like Feinstein. Notice the media could care less. Where's Philip Bump of the Washington Compost? Where is Philly today? I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. 
Have you ever wished you knew more about how politics and our Constitution work? Could you explain the key differences between capitalism and socialism? Wish you knew more about American history? Well, I have good news for you. It's not too late to learn no matter how busy you are or how long it's been since you've been in college or high school. And you can do it for free. Because my friends at Hillsdale College, as a service to our country, have free online courses that provide a taste of the core curriculum that every Hillsdale College student takes. The core that teaches us how to think critically and act virtuously. And it can help you, too. Getting started is very simple. Just sign up for one or more of Hillsdale's most popular online courses for free. And you can learn whenever you like. Visit online.hillsdale.edu right now. That's online.hillsdale.edu. Join right now and you'll be on your way to a rich, meaningful education. Again, that's online.hillsdale.edu. Let me put it to you this way. They're blackmailing the president of the United States, these committee chairmen and the Democrats in the House, as well as the media, really. They're insisting either he violates his oath of office and undermines separation of powers, a key doctrine in our system of government, and forever weaken the office of the presidency, or they'll impeach him. They're insisting either he helps them destroy his presidency, his businesses, his staff, his friends, and his family, or they will impeach him. Either he helps them destroy his re-election effort and destroy himself, or they will impeach him. That's how insane this is. That's how absurd this is. And it's all one-sided, isn't it, ladies and gentlemen? The House Judiciary Committee doesn't want to know anything about how the FBI conducted itself under the Democrats. House Judiciary Committee doesn't want to know anything about the Hillary Clinton campaign in the DNC, about the law firm that washed the money and gave it to Fusion GPS. The House Judiciary Committee doesn't want to know about the FISA court and the FISA application. They don't want to know anything about any of that. The House Judiciary Committee doesn't want to know about the top level of the FBI that wiped itself out. With individuals, either other criminal investigation or IG investigation. They don't want to know anything about that. Instead, they try to blackmail the President of the United States of America. I'll be right back. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale College has provided students with sound learning of the kind essential to preserving our civil and religious liberty. Now, I want to tell you about Imprimus the free monthly speech digest of Hillsdale College. Imprimus is dedicated to educating citizens and promoting civil and religious liberty by covering important cultural, economic, political, and educational issues. First published in 1972, Imprimus is one of America's most widely read publications in support of liberty, with more subscribers, 3.9 million, than the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. And recent Imprimus publications have addressed issues like free speech, the regulation of big tech, mental illness, and the American medical insurance system. And because America's founding principles are so important, Hillsdale offers Imprimus absolutely free of charge to anyone who requests it. That's right. You can subscribe to Imprimus for free. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to visit imprimus.hillsdale.edu for your free subscription. That's Imprimus, I-M-P-R-I-M-I-S dot Hillsdale dot E-D-U. Welcome 
Tay Hillsdale. Can't got your tongue? Cough up a furball and call 877-381-3811 right now from Mike Levin. Talk about echo chamber. This is the echo chamber for talk radio. Simply no question about it. That's okay. Got to get the word out there. Guy talks like Chris Matthews, doesn't he, Mr. Producer? I think he does. I, I Sounds like Chris Matthews. No, that's uh, required as a matter of law. We're happy to do it. So I often call this program the first show of the rest of the day. Even though we're on in the evening, in some places at night, it's the first show of the rest of the day. It really is. When it comes to matters of the Constitution and the Declaration, when it comes to matters of law, when it comes to matters of, of the political arena, this is the place to be. And this is going to go on for a long time, and it's quite unfortunate what's taking place in this society. Uh, you have Elijah Cummings, who is all over TV. He goes unchallenged in any significant way. Uh, and these, these committee chairmen from these cities, from these Democrat-controlled cities, from these Democrat Party boss-controlled cities, they're all conspiring with one another. They're all colluding. They're all sharing their subpoenas with each other. This is a multi-front attack on the President of the United States in the House of Representatives, a multi-front attack. And... Of course, they know they'll get back up from the media, which is exactly what's happening. Now, in this new book of mine, Unfreedom of the Press, I call the media the Democratic Party press. Now, you might say that's not particularly new. It's not. But we need to call them that. And I go through some of the history of the press in this country, significant cycles in how the press has conducted itself. And you know, it's interesting, more times than not, the press has conducted itself in a very negative way. We had the Patriot Press, I call it. The early men with the printing presses who had to move their printing presses. So the uh, colonial governors appointed by the crown wouldn't track them down. These were very, very courageous patriots. And these early pressmen were responsible for the early pamphlets and the early newspapers. Early on in this country, in the 1600s and then in the early 1700s, there weren't many newspapers. There were more pamphlets, obviously, than newspapers. Even at the start of the Revolutionary War, there were about three dozen newspapers, that's it. But there were many, many pamphleteers. The most well-known, of course, was Thomas Paine. But a lot took place before Thomas Paine came to the United States. A lot took place before the Revolutionary War. A lot took place even before the lead-up to the Revolutionary War. The early printers were printing things like words from ministers and pastors who challenged the orthodoxy of their particular church. And I don't mean they were anti-God, not in the least. 
but they were part of a reformation effort that was going on. And they were very courageous. A reformation effort that you don't see in parts of the Middle East or Southeast Asia when it comes to religion. These men who who developed these printing presses, who brought them in from England, quite frankly, it was a very laborious task. Later they would have typesetting, but that came later. Later. It was these men whose names you don't know, but whose names you will know after you read my book, who were the impetus for the American Revolution. Before the revolution, the lead up to the revolution, and during the revolution. They were the ones who pushed the principles into the public square. They were the ones who published the views of the early patriots. They were the ones who used fact and emotion and history. Philosophers like John Locke, they spread the word. They spread the word throughout the colonies to the pubs, to the farms, to the homes. And these newspapers and pamphlets would be posted. They'd be handed around, passed one from the next. They'd be read out loud over the dinner table or what have you. You actually had colonists. You had farmers who knew about John Locke. Well, how did they know? The press. Word traveled slowly, but it traveled. You're going to learn a whole lot more about these people in Unfreedom of the Press. These were the men who were also the impetus for the First Amendment and Freedom of the Press. And I dare say the vast majority of the people who work in the media today have no idea who these people were. None. And they viewed it as their job to promote these principles. They were not really newsmen per se. Yes, they would reveal the news that was taking place, but it would take months. They were more philosophers. They're the ones who promoted representative government. They're the ones who promoted the ideas of commerce and trade, low taxation. All these ideas. And the revolutionaries, long before the founders, the revolutionaries relied on them, used them. They were revolutionaries. The Federalist Papers were essays published in newspapers, published in pamphlets. The Anti-Federalist Papers, which you've only heard about from me, the Anti-Federalist Papers, same thing. Now, I have to do this quickly, but you'll be able to read it in the book. We have another period. Loosely began during the presidency of George Washington called the party press period. And this is where the press exploded onto the scene 
after the revolution was successful. Of course, after the Constitution was adopted and ratified, and then later the first Ten Amendments, the Bill of Rights, it exploded on the scene, and there were hundreds of newspapers, thousands of pamphleteers. But for the most part, there was tremendous transparency. They aligned themselves with one party or another, one cause or another, one public figure or another, and so forth. They didn't pretend to be objective. They insisted that they were right. And so you had tremendous amount of competition of ideas, of party politics, of candidates, often very, very messy, very, very ugly. But there was real competition, and you knew. You look, look at the name of some of the newspapers today. The Arizona Republic. The Arkansas Democrat. There's a reason for those names, because this party press lasted till from about Washington's time into the Civil War period. And these newspapers were transparent about what, who, they supported. You had a period of yellow journalism, which I don't need to spend a lot of time on. Then in the beginning of the last century, with the progressive movement, those of you who read my book, Rediscovering Americanism, you know all about it in my other books, the turn of the last century, really the 1880s, moving into the early 1900s, and now it's in full bloom, the progressive movement. And during the progressive movement, they applied the same ideological model that they were applying to government and the school systems to the press. That is, you needed experts. You needed elites who were better educated and smarter, the argument went, who were more objective and they weren't so tied to American history and to the Constitution and to the Declaration who could, who could bring an objectivity and create a profession out of the press? And of course, what they really meant and what they really did was say, leave it to a handful of us to determine what the news is. And they said they would, they would seek the objective truth. Is this boring everyone, Mr. Producer? The objective truth. But the objective truth would be marinated in the views of progressive elitists. This has been going on for about 100 years. Not completely, not fully, not with all news outlets, but today pretty much. And today, really over the last 40, 50 years, It followed the next logical step from progressivism to social activism. You have a social activist press now. It's not enough to report information, so-called news, through the mindset of the progressive ideology, although they certainly do that, and that's a big problem. But now we need to push the agenda. Now we need to shape society. Now we need to shape events. 
And when you watch CNN and MSNBC, certain individuals on Fox perhaps, when you read the New York Times, the Washington Post, NBC, ABC, CBS, really 98% of what's out there in terms of the so-called press. That's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. They call it community press or public press. Their philosophers do, and you'll learn that again in Unfreedom of the Press. So they're not merely reporting, quote-unquote, they're activists, social activists, with a progressive ideology. Pretty much that's the monopoly ideology in the media today. There's very little diversity. And you'll read, as I put it in the book, from some individuals who admit it, say we ought to confess this and just say this is what we're doing because it needs to be done. I mean, without the progressive ideology and social activism journalism, where would we be today? You know, pro-slavery, pro-segregation. Pro- these, I'm just saying these are their arguments. These are their arguments. Trump is a setback for them. They sought to defeat Trump. They were getting leaks from the Obama administration, including law enforcement and intelligence, to try and stop Trump. Trump got elected. They tried to destroy his transition into the presidency. They've tried to destroy his presidency. The common link between the Democrat Party and the media is the social activism progressive ideology. Now, I'm probably telling too much right now because the book comes out in about a month, and I know that certain talk show hosts have their staff take notes and regurgitate what I say. But look, what am I supposed to do? I either talk about it or I don't. More to come. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Folks, many of our nation's oldest colleges were founded to teach students to seek truth, recognize what's beautiful, and hold up what is good. But sadly, many have lost their way. Locked in the grip of political correctness, they no longer allow free and open discourse and instead peddle their moral and cultural relativism. Thankfully, there's Hillsdale College. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale has remained true to its original mission, to provide sound learning of the kind essential to preserving civil and religious liberty and intelligent piety. And as Hillsdale enters its 175th year, their goal is simple and yet profound to help students understand what is noblest and best in yourself and the world. Hillsdale College's liberal arts education and vibrant campus community helps students form a foundation for the rest of their lives, a truly life-defining experience. So if you're looking for a college that prizes learning and values intellectual enthusiasm, where everyone shares a strong sense of meaning and purpose, welcome to Hillsdale College. Please visit hillsdale.edu slash admissions to plan a visit and learn more. That's hillsdale.edu slash admissions. You'll also learn in Unfreedom of the Press, you'll see surveys and so forth, that Republicans, let alone conservatives, have lost faith in the media in this country. Not faith. In freedom of the press, faith in the people who have the noble responsibility to report the news. The vast majority of Republicans have lost faith 
in the media. This is a very, very big problem. A very big problem. Hence the Democratic Party media. The Democratic Party media. So while we had a party media early on in our history, we still have a party media. It's just that it's only a one-party media. These are the sorts of things that you'll see in tyrannies. A one-party media, and at the same time, they claim to be defending us, representing freedom of the press. They absolutely do not. They represent a party and an ideology. As a class, they do, as an aristocratic class, if you will. The tax deadline passed, and the IRS didn't nail you for the money you owe. Well, what do we do, Mark? Well, what we do is, first of all, support the president in his effort to defend the executive branch and the office of the presidency. That's number one. He's not obstructing justice. He's defending the Constitution. Number two, what do we do? We must focus our wisdom, our discussion on the fourth branch of government, the fourth estate which has become, in my view, the fifth column, as I say over and over again. And we're going to do all those things right here. I hope you'll listen. All the other people in talk radio do. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post... Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811-877-381-3811. A study conducted by Indiana University professors Lars Wilnat and David Weaver based on online interviews with 1,080 1,080 journalists. They were conducted during the fall of 2013. Showed that although 50.2% of journalists identified as independent, this is also in the book, and 14.6% as other, the number Identifying as Democratic was 28.1% compared to merely 7.1% as Republican. In 1971, first time the survey was conducted, some 25.7% of journalists polled said they identified as Republican. Today it's 7.1%. And the fact that approximately 65% of these journalists self-identifies either political independence or other does not necessarily mean they are without a partisan or ideological outlook. I'll give you another example. In November 2018 survey, again, this is in Unfreedom of the Press, of 462 financial journalists by professors at Arizona State University and Texas A&M University, of which more than 70% of those surveyed were affiliated with the Wall Street Journal, Financial Times, Bloomberg News, Associated Press, Forbes, The New York Times, Reuters, or The Washington Post. These are financial journalists. 
revealed that even most financial journalists are political progressives. When asked, generally speaking, how would you describe your political views? They responded very liberal, 17.6%, somewhat liberal, almost 41%, moderate, 37%, somewhat conservative, 3.9%, and very conservative, 0.046%. So nearly 60% of financial journalists surveyed were liberal. Less than 5% were conservative. Oh, my. It's actually much worse as a general matter. Much worse. Give you some more. The geographic influences. The geographic influences. Most of the media, national media, resides, works, in the districts I just told you about. Where Nadler is a congressman. Where Schiff is a congressman, where Cummings is a congressman, so forth. Politico, which of course is left wing, notes that, quote, the national media really does work in a bubble, which it contends is something that wasn't true as recently as 2008, their contention. And the bubble is growing more extreme, they write. Concentrated heavily along the coasts, the bubble is both geographic and political. If you're a working journalist, odds aren't just that you work in a pro-Clinton county. Odds are that you reside in one of the nation's most pro-Clinton counties. Now, they blame the decline on the newspaper business and the rise of the Internet-based online reporting for this bubble. Correspondents Jack Schaefer and Tucker Darty write, This isn't just a shift in medium. It's also a shift in sociopolitics and a radical one. And they talk about these Internet centers. 73% of all Internet publishing jobs are concentrated in either Boston, New York, Washington, Richmond Carter, or the West Coast Crescent that runs from Seattle to San Diego and on to Phoenix. The Chicagoland area, a traditional media center, captures only 5% of the jobs, with a paltry 22% going to the rest of the country. And almost all the real growth of Internet publishing is happening outside the heartland in just a few urban counties, all places that voted for Clinton. So when your conservative friends use media as a synonym for coastal and liberal, they're not far off the mark. And they conclude that nearly 90% of all Internet publishing employees work in a county where Clinton won. 75% of them work in a county that she won by more than 30 percentage points. You want to wonder why? Do you wonder why you get the kind of news that you get, including on the Internet and elsewhere? I also mentioned to you the Harvard Kennedy School Shorenstein Center on Media, Politics and Public Policy. And that they looked at the first hundred days of reporting on the Trump administration. They looked at CBS, CNN, NBC, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, and Fox. And they say six of those seven are among those that he is constantly pointing at. All six of those portrayed Trump's first 100 days, and and I'm quoting from them, in highly unfavorable terms. CNN and NBC's coverage were the most unrelenting. 
negative stories about Trump outpace positive ones by 13 to 1 on the two networks. Trump's coverage on CBS also exceeded the 90% negative mark. Trump's coverage exceeded the 80% level in the New York Times, 87%. The Washington Post, 83%. Well, what do you expect with Philip Bump over there? The Wall Street Journal came in below that level, but it's 70% negative. And that's largely attributable to its more favorable economic coverage. Fox was the only outlet where Trump's overall coverage nearly crept into positive territory. 52% of Fox's reports with a clear tone were negative. 48% were positive. Again, this is in my new book on freedom of the press. Fox's coverage was 34 percentage points less negative than the average for the other six outlets. And then they say this. Listen to this. This is Harvard. Trump's coverage during his first 100 days was not merely negative in overall terms. It was unfavorable on every dimension. There was not a single major topic. This is them, not me, where Trump's coverage was more positive than negative. Not one. And so I write, these findings, particularly as they relate to Fox, are telling. The prevailing criticism of Fox, especially by its media competition, is that it's in the tank for Trump. While some Fox hosts and programs are more supportive of the president than others, and the distinction of Fox between the news programming and opinion programming is much better delineated than at CNN and MSNBC. The statistics gathered by the Shorenstein Center suggest that the Fox coverage overall is much more even-handed than at other news outlets, which are overwhelmingly negative. You want to know why Fox is targeted by these other outlets? Because they are progressive social activists. They don't want diversity. They don't want even-handedness. There is no other side. They self-righteously determine what the news is, quote-unquote, through their own lens, their own radical progressive lens. This is why your president is under constant attack. This is why the media lie. This is why the media substitute opinion for fact. This is why the media self-censor information that might be actually helpful to this administration. They did the opposite when it came to Obama. Now I write, this may seem surprising given all the stories about Fox and the print and broadcast media portraying Fox as unfair and unbalanced in its coverage. Indeed, Fox and its executives and hosts are frequent targets of other press operations, such as The New Yorker, Vanity Fair, The New York Times, The Washington Post, Politico, CNN, MSNBC, and so forth, in which journalists and progressive commentators for these outlets seem fixated with diminishing Fox's public standing and reputation, and in some instances even promote commercial boycotts against certain Fox hosts and shows. The reason seems apparent. Fox defies the near ideological and political uniformity of the other media outlets, which their coverage of Trump is unfavorable on every dimension, quote-unquote. Now, the Shorenstein Center even provide uh, a bit of thoughtful advice to the journalists. They said journalists would do well to spend less time in Washington and more time in places where policy intersects with people's lives. 
If they had done so during the presidential campaign, they would not have missed the story that keyed Trump's victory, the fading of the American dream for millions of ordinary Americans. Nor do all such narratives have to be a tale of woe. America at the moment is a divided society in some respects, but it's not a broken society, and the divisions in Washington are deeper than those beyond the Beltway. Do you think you're going to find this book interesting, Mr. Producer? I've been been discussing it for the last three weeks, all kinds of aspects related to what's taking place. So I said, you know, let me look at the comparison coverage. That's Trump. Now let's look at Obama. Well, here's what I found. By comparison, on April 28, 2009, the Pew Research Center issued a study of media reports on the Obama administration's first 100 days. So you heard of the Trump administration's first 100 days. What about Obama's? Pew reported that, quote, President Barack Obama has enjoyed substantially more positive media coverage than either Bill Clinton or George Bush during their first months in the White House, according to a new study of press coverage. Overall, roughly four out of ten stories, editorials, and op-ed columns about Obama have been clearly positive in tone, compared with 22% for Bush and 27% for Clinton in the same mix of seven national media outlets during the same first two months in office. That's from the Pew Research Center Project for Excellence in Journalism. The study found positive stories about Obama have outweighed negative by 2 to 1, 42% versus 20%, while 38% of stories have been neutral or mixed. Because they liked Obama. Now, there's no getting around this for the media. There's no getting around this. This is who they are. This is what they are. And as I say every night, you're going to learn a ton more than this when you get the book on freedom of the press. And I hope you'll pre-order it now at Amazon.com while it's 40% off. And the chapter on the New York Times is brutal. Absolutely brutal. We need to be number one on the New York Times bestseller list. We need to be number one because of the chapter on the New York Times. And the chapter on the New York Times is entitled, The New York Times Betrays Millions. I've handed the galley copy of the book. That simply means a soft cover copy of the book. The hardcover copy will be available soon to a number of people who you would know people who I admire and respect. Almost to a person, they told me that that New York Times chapter was unbelievable. That it opened their eyes to the paper of record, to the paper where all news is fit to print. They couldn't believe what they were reading. You won't believe what you read in there either. But it's true. It's footnoted up the wazoo. Real scholarship went into this book, and particularly that chapter. I have to be right. You're going to learn things about the media, and particularly the New York Times, that are going to be absolutely shocking to you. And as much as you are skeptical of the media today, 
you'll be even more skeptical skeptical tomorrow. And that's a good thing. They may control the press, but we still have our free speech. The progressives may have devoured the fourth estate, but we still have our free speech. And that's why, when you criticize them, they don't handle it very well. They're in an immediate defensive posture, like Philip Bump over there at the Washington Compost or Brian Stelter over there at the Constipated News Network. They take themselves so seriously, these, these young narcissists. They're so self-righteous. They're on a moral crusade, ladies and gentlemen, like all progressives. And you're standing in their way. They want to take out Trump because they want to punish you. You have to learn how to vote, you see. You can't vote for somebody like Trump. No. And no candidate's too outrageous for the left. No candidate's too outrageous. Look how they treat Bernie Sanders. Terrorists should be able to vote. and He wants to destroy our health care system. He's an old red. Everybody knows it. They go very soft on him. Look who they promote. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. We don't have a lot of time in this segment, but... You know, look at Richard Nixon. Nixon didn't get the breaks that Johnson and Kennedy got from the press. First of all, Johnson and Kennedy were repeat uh, philanderers, and aggressively so. The media kept that quiet. Donald Trump, they keep chasing down Stormy Daniels. Who were the people who... Lyndon Johnson had multiple affairs with. I mean, he had hundreds of them. You have no idea, neither do I. Who were their lawyers? I don't know. Yet we know about Stormy Daniels and Michael Avenatti and so forth. Isn't that weird? It's very weird. Um, and in the case of Kennedy, when he was a senator, he had an affair with an East German spy. You know, he was president, he had an affair with a mobster's girlfriend. So when you hear these Democrats today and you hear these media types today, you really can't take the moral outrage very seriously, can you? I'm not aware the president has done any of that, certainly not as president. I haven't heard a single thing about any moral activity, immoral activity, I should say. Have you? The president hasn't used the IRS against his opponents or the media. We've talked about that. The president hasn't used the FBI against his opponents or the media. In fact, the FBI has been used against this president. And the IRS has been used against the Tea Party and his supporters. Now the Democrats want to use the IRS against the president and his family again. It's a pattern here. This is what they do. In terms of Nixon, Nixon used the IRS... So where did he get that idea? From his two predecessors. And one of the articles of impeachment against Nixon was his use of the IRS. Well, why isn't there an article of impeachment against Lyndon Johnson? Why wasn't John Kennedy, albeit in the short term that he was president, why wasn't any of this raised about him? Because of the media, that's why. Media drives the nation's agenda. It's sad. Now, if the media are going to drive the nation's agenda, 
They're not elected. They're not accountable to the people. They don't self-police. That we have to become our own media. We have to become our own spokesmen. We have to become like the original pamphleteers. We need to speak out. We need to communicate with each other. We need to promote real news. We need to promote our our founding ideals and principles. We need to bypass them. I'll be right back. Conservative Fire. The Mark Levin Show. Call in now at 877-381-3811. You know, I often refer to the media as the Praetorian Guard of big government. That's what it is. It's the Praetorian Guard of big government. It protects the administrative state. Now, we've talked for years and years and years here about the fourth branch of government, the administrative state. I've highlighted it in several of my books. And it's a serious problem, isn't it? It's a fourth branch of government. Um, It's not in the Constitution. It's in the executive branch and yet created by the legislative branch. And it's got enormous power. And it mostly serves the purposes of the Democrat Party. That's why so often Republican presidents try to cut these bureaucracies, but they typically fail. Or at least it's a very difficult thing to do. And the Democrats will never allow any of it to be eliminated. They don't care what the department or agency does. They don't care when it was created. It doesn't matter. Because this effectively is their fiefdom. This massive centralized government. This massive centralized government. Is their creation. Quite frankly. Really the New Deal is where it took off. And that's why they talk about a Green New Deal. Because what they have in mind with the Green New Deal is the nationalization of all aspects of our economy. I don't mean the outright taking it over. I mean the control over it. You control the air, the water, the land, health care, mobility. You can control more and more of those things. Well, then you control the people, don't you? And you can do it in the name of the people, can't you? You know, if you ask any AMAC member what they like most about belonging to the conservative alternative to the AARP, one answer that always comes up is how much they love their special AMAC quarterly magazine, the AMAC Advantage. It's a first-class publication covering a variety of hard-hitting stories from notable authors, and AMAC members love it. Well, my friends, AMAC membership just keeps getting better. You get these great discounts. On all kinds of things, rental cars, insurance, vacations, and this magnificent magazine. AMAC is pleased to announce that instead of publishing just four issues each year, they're going to now publish AMAC Advantage six times a year and send it to all of its members, a million and a half AMAC members. That's six issues of AMAC's celebrated magazine delivered to your home every year. It's all part of an AMAC membership. If you haven't joined AMAC yet, you're missing out. Join today. Go to amac.us, amac.us. The discounts and the benefits are great, folks. They really are. They really are. I want you to check them out. 
And they promote the conservative cause. And they're really, truly serious about it. Get your copy of the latest edition of the AMAC Advantage magazine, along with all the great discounts and benefits that come with an AMAC membership by joining immediately. Here's their website. AMAC.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Will you check it out? Not for me, for you. Will you check it out? I'm a member of AMAC. And I'm thrilled to be. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. AMAC. Better for you and better for America. Well, the President of the United States was getting ready to go on the helicopter to speak at an event about opioid addiction. And here's what he said in part. Cut one, go. The subpoena is ridiculous. We have been, I have been the most transparent president and administration in the history of our country by far. We just went through the Mueller witch hunt where you had really 18 angry Democrats that hate President Trump. They hate him with a passion. They were contributors in many cases to Hillary Clinton. Hate him with a passion. How they picked this panel, I don't know. And they came up with no collusion, and they actually also came up with no obstruction. But our attorney general ruled based on the information there was no obstruction. So you have no collusion, no obstruction. Now we're finished with it, and I thought after two years, we'd be finished with it. No, now the House goes and starts subpoenaing. They want to know every deal I've ever done. Now, Mueller, I assume, for $35 million, checked my taxes, checked my financials, which are great, by the way. You know they're great. All you have to do is go look at the records. They're all over the place. But they checked my financials and they checked my taxes, I assume. It was the most thorough investigation probably in the history of our country. I think I read where they interviewed 500 people. I say it's enough. Get back to infrastructure, get back to cutting taxes, get back to lowering drug prices. He's the most rational person in politics, isn't he? And yet they make him out to be or try to make him out to be as the most irrational. It's an amazing uh, thing. He said more. Cut to go. Well, we're fighting all the subpoenas. Look, these aren't like impartial people. The Democrats are trying to win 2020. They're not going to win with the people that I see, and they're not going to win against me. The only way they can maybe luck out, and I don't think that's going to happen. It might make it even the opposite. That's what a lot of people are saying. The only way they can luck out is by constantly going after me on nonsense, but they should be really focused on legislation, not the things that have been, this has been litigated, just so you understand, this has been litigated for the last two years, almost since I got into office. Now, if you want to litigate, go after the DNC, crooked Hillary, the dirty cops, all of these things, that's what should be litigated, because that was a rigged system. And I'm breaking down, I am breaking down the swamp. If you look at what's happening, they're getting caught, they're getting fired. Who knows what's going to happen from now on, but I hope it's, I hope it's very strong. But if you look at drain the swamp, I am draining the swamp. And he's right. And that's why the Praetorian Guard, circling the wagons with the Democrat Party, 
circling the wagons with the dug-in bureaucracy, circling the wagons with the activist judges. They're used to having things their way. They got more money. They got more powerful under Obama. They figured the same would happen with Hillary Clinton. But they lost. They weren't supposed to lose. And they lost. And they're angry. And they want to take the government back. Not fair and square by elections, but by reversing an election. For the life of me, I don't know why the backbenchers who steal what I say on the show won't steal the following, which is this. And I want them to repeat it. What the Democrats are trying to do, what the media are trying to do, is the greatest voter suppression and disenfranchisement in the history of this country. By reversing the course of the 2016 election, the outcome. Makes all the rest of the static about voter suppression ridiculous. This is the the granddaddy of voter suppression. This is the granddaddy of disenfranchisement. That over 63 million people who cast their votes for Donald Trump should have them nullified. Because of a handful of radical left-wing congressmen from New York, from L.A., from San Francisco, and from Baltimore who insist on abusing their power, manufacturing allegations for impeachment, manufacturing subpoenas that violate separation of powers and undermine our constitutional structure in order to put together a document, an impeachment document. And using our tax dollars to do it. Now I told you the other day the trustees of the Medicare system, the trustees of the Social Security system have put out yet another red flag. They shot a flare into the sky and they're doing it every year but now they've shot several. They said, hey, you guys better start looking at this. Congress. This is a report that goes to the Senate and the House and that would include the Speaker of the House. And the trustees have said, listen to this, Medicare is going broke in eight years. Eight years. Eight years. And they said Social Security is going broke in 18 years. Because these same people who beat their chests about the Constitution, about the President's taxes, about the president's bank accounts, about the president's finances, have stolen the money out of the Social Security and Medicare systems. They've stolen them blind to fund other parts of the federal government. All this money that you put into these systems, all this money you put into these programs, spent. And they... They promote this fraud by sending you a letter every now and then telling you how much money you have in your account. Like you actually have an account. You don't have an account. Ask them how much money is actually in your account. They're IOUs. I've told you this before. They're IOUs. From the IRS, that is the Treasury Department, to the Social Security Administration. Or to the to Medicare. They're IOUs. 
We owe you this amount of money. These are now considered, the phrase, unfunded liabilities. Well, what happened? We funded them. Well, your money doesn't go into them. Your money goes to pay for government benefits for illegal aliens. Your money goes to pay for staffers to go after the President of the United States to pay their salaries and pensions and medical care. Your money goes into a thousand things, but it doesn't go into Social Security and Medicare anymore. They steal it. You think Enron was bad? You think Ponzi was bad? These people should all be rounded up. Instead, there are congressmen and senators. Always lecturing you and me that we don't pay enough taxes. We don't pay enough taxes, you know. We don't have enough illegal immigrants in the country, you know. There's not enough redistribution of wealth going on in the country, you know. These people are immoral. They're unethical. They're power hungry. And instead of addressing Social Security and Medicare, especially Medicare, it's right on the precipice. What are they doing? Filing subpoenas. Because they have power now and they can... They can prepare documents and print them out and sign their names to them. They're filing subpoenas to try and remove a president who you voted for. Trying to disenfranchise you. Trying to suppress the vote that took place. And they call your names on MSNBC. They call your names on CNN. Hard-working Americans, many of you have served in the military. Many of you have served in law enforcement or currently are. Many of you have family members doing one or the other. But you're a racist, don't you know? You're a white supremacist, don't you know? You're dumb, don't you know? You're a neo-Nazi, don't you know? You're all these things, they say. You. They cannot understand why you're so stupid. And they don't hide it anymore. They say it. Why you're so psychologically off. You and me, who pay all the damn bills in this country. We the people. Not we the people on the dole. Not we the people who are hangers on. Not we the people who are part of the welfare state. We the people. Who pay the freight. We just don't seem to want to get along with the program, do we? Now, by the way, what do you think is going to happen in this country when people get free college, when they get free family leave subsidized by the other taxpayers, when they have a certain minimum income guaranteed by the government, or some are even saying a federal job, what do you think is going to happen? Nobody's going to want to work anymore. Who do you think is going to want to be a doctor when you have free health care and doctor's offices are overwhelmed and the paperwork is a pile high? Why would you be a doctor? Why would you be a nurse? Why would you invest in a hospital? And then you get shortages and you get rationing and you get long lines. Then you got to bring your own toilet paper. You get the drift? I'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
your biggest achievements in life? Who's the one person that's always been there unconditionally supporting you every step of the way? It's your mom. Your forever biggest fan. This Mother's Day, show her just how much you appreciate the love with 1-800-Flowers.com. And right now, when you get ahead of the Mother's Day rush, 1-800-Flowers will give you an exclusive 36 for 36 offer. 36 sorbet roses for just $36. That's only a dollar per rose. With an impressive mix of pastel shades and pink, orange, lavender, these roses are guaranteed to make her smile. Roses are the perfect way to surprise all the moms in your life or to celebrate any spring occasion. 36 sorbet roses for $36 is an amazing offer, but you have to hurry because it expires on Friday. And it's Wednesday night. Don't put this off. Order today from 1-800-Flowers.com. It's what mom would want you to do. And by the way, that's 1-800-Flowers.com. Enter code LEVIN. Again, to order 36 sorbet roses for $36 or $1 a rose, go to 1-800-Flowers.com. Click the radio icon and enter code LEVIN. All you Levinites out there, it's L-E-V-I-N. That's 1-800-Flowers.com, code LEVIN. This is a fantastic offer. The flowers are beautiful. But it ends on Friday, and it's Wednesday night. So please, please take advantage of it now. Timing is everything. It's like unfreedom of the press. You can pre-order it now on Amazon.com at 40% off. What is that, 16 17 bucks? There's a lot of good stuff in there, folks. You'll see when you get it. You'll see when we talk about it. We're going to do a bit of a media blitz. Uh, We'll see how much of the opposition media would like to invite me. But we already have a number of things scheduled. Oh, I forgot to tell you. This is exciting. Tomorrow. Big day tomorrow. I'm going to announce all four book signings. Now, all four book signings, and I'm going to have a special guest on the program, too, uh, with whom which I'm going to announce one particular book signing. I'm flirting with adding a fifth, but I'm not sure, so we'll see. And I'm not doing that to play games, I'm just not sure. So we will announce them tomorrow, the book signings. Uh, Obviously, I can't get everywhere, and I won't get everywhere. And uh, what matters isn't really much my signature. What matters is what I put in the book, as far as I'm concerned. But that's just me. And, of course, we'll also have some books available on the Premier site. If you go over there, uh, there's only going to be 2,500 of them. And I haven't signed them yet, but I will. lot to do, lot to do. We'll be right back. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. 
Nancy Pelosi is at the Time 100 Summit in New York yesterday. This Time magazine, the 100 most whatever people. These lists are all pseudo-events. They're about self-promotion and hits and sales and all the rest. But that's what the media are today. And Pelosi was, I think, number one out of 100. She'd be number one out of 100 for me, too, but not on that list, on another list, as you can imagine. So here she is, Nancy Pelosi, at the Time 100 Summit in New York yesterday about impeachment. Cut five, go. I do believe that impeachment is one of the most divisive forces, uh, paths that we could go down to in our country. But it's a facts, the path of fact-finding takes us there. We have no choice. They have no choice, ladies and gentlemen. Now, this whole thing is a scam. And I want you to really pay attention to what's going on here. This is a scam. You're hearing analysis, including on our favorite cable network and elsewhere, talking about the Democrat parties divided on impeachment. No, they're not. She wants to be able to say, look, I, I, I told my folks, I told them, you know, we can't go into this wanting to impeach. We have to go into this as fact finders. Fact finders? Do they sound like fact finders to you? Fact finders. I thought we had fact finders already in the special counsel. No, no, you don't understand. These are real fact finders. Now, they tell us they're fact finders, and then they tell us this is political. It's not criminal. So they can blow off the special counsel's report, while at the same time, simultaneously, they're embracing the special counsel's report. These are real snake oil salesmen, I'll tell you. But they think you're stupid, like their own base. Well, we're not their base, and we're not stupid. We know exactly what's going on, another fan dance. Now, whether or not they pull the impeachment trigger, and I think they will, but if they don't, it's all about destroying and defeating Trump anyway. Go ahead. There yet. And as I said, I've said in my letter, I said to my members, I say to you, as I said earlier, uh, there are many ways to hold the president accountable. The Congress... Uh, the Justice Department may have not decided to use its full power to impeach, to to Oh, wait, 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 wait. Okay, you're the Speaker of the House. You're supposed to understand the Constitution. The Justice Department doesn't impeach. Justice Department doesn't impeach. Justice Department doesn't indict a sitting president. You are a buffoon of the highest order. Barely articulate, utterly illiterate, and incoherent. Go ahead. Congress will not be silent in terms of using our constitutional power uh, to find the facts for the American people. To find what facts for the American people? The American people behind Maxine Waters going after the president's bank accounts? Now, this is rather funny to me that we have members of Congress from New York in L.A. and Baltimore and San Francisco telling us what the American people want. The American people spoke. They voted for Donald Trump to be president of the United States. The American people spoke. You're the problem. You're the reprobate. May I call you reprobate? With all due respect, of course. Nothing to do with your genitalia happens to deal with, actually, what's above your neck. Cut six, go. Well, we haven't seen it all. Uh, while what we have seen has been largely redacted. Actually, it hasn't been largely redacted, the report. 
particularly volume two, there's almost no redactions. Because that's where Weissman and the rest of them decided to write their essay. If they could, they would, but they can't, so they don't. And that is charge the president with obstruction. Go ahead. It's seen has omitted, omitted to the uh, grand jury. Omitted uh, to the grand jury. I mean, I mean, ladies and gentlemen, she's a mental case. May I say that? With all due respect, again, of course, a mental case. We've seen as omitted to the grand jury. What are you saying? What are you? What? What? What is with you? Go ahead. Which we expect to see. Uh, what we did learn is that the Russians had a systemic overall assault on our electoral well, system. Well, why didn't you then uh, ask Obama about that? Or Clapper? Or Brennan? Or Comey? Or Lynch? That is the Obama administration. You're not interested in that at all. He was president. That was their administration. Hey, what we learned was that the Russians interfered in the election. Really? The Russians interfered? Who knew? Who knew? So I assume you're going to call Barack Melhouse Benito Obama to testify. No, you don't do that with an ex-president. We're going to impeach this president. Go ahead. And what we also did see is that the president of the United States engaged in behavior that was unethical, unscrupulous and beneath the dignity of the office. No, no, no. You have him confused with Obama and the IRS investigation of the Tea Party. You have him confused with Obama and Fast and Furious. You have him confused with Obama and his thoroughly anti-Semitic administration and his anti-American administration. I think you're quite confused about what you're mumbling about. But look what she says. The president's behavior was unethical? No, it wasn't. Unscrupulous? No, it wasn't. Beneath the dignity of the office? No, it wasn't. Just throws out these bumper sticker lines. Because that's all she knows. She's an idiot. Go ahead. What's surprising about it is that the Republicans seem to have an unlimited appetite. Ah, shut up, you idiot. All the Republicans have have an unlimited appetite for this kind of behavior. Behavior. Her, she stood with Bill Clinton every step of the way. Even though he molested an intern. Didn't bother her. Didn't bother ABC. They hired the head of his war room. Didn't bother Hillary Clinton. She stayed married to him. We don't need lectures about morals and ethics from you clowns. When the information came out that Ted Kennedy had been conspiring with the Kremlin to defeat Reagan, you are in the House of Representatives. What the hell did you do about it? Nothing. Well, 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 shut up. You believe these people? They're going to lecture you and me about morals and ethics. When they're trying to steal our franchise, suppress our vote. 63 some odd million of us. She's going to lecture us? The Speaker of the House. Where all these members of Congress were cutting deals on sexual harassment using our tax dollars. That's all still secret. They're worried about grand jury information, which they have no damn right to. Well, how about releasing the information on all the secret deals, the confidential deals with our dollars, and all these sexual harassment cases involving members of Congress? What about that? What about your tax returns? Where the hell are all the reporters? Well, obviously. 
They're in the tank. It's 8.15 almost, Eastern Time. Uh, So most of the reporters are basically at the local pub drinking and cheating on their wives. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. So we have uh, eight years, the trustees tell us, until Medicare goes broke. Do you see any urgency on the news? Any urgency anywhere? Nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. And then there's Cory Booker at the Presidential People Forum today, or whatever the hell that is. And here's what he's worried about. Cut 11, go. With climate change, we have 10 years to deal with it, but vulnerable communities... 10 years for climate change. Eight years for Medicare. He doesn't talk about Medicare. 10 years for climate change. Where did this number 10 come from? Not 11 years... Not 10 years and 12 days. 10 years, exactly. Now, what's interesting to me is they've been saying 10 years, right? For three months. So it's not 10 years. It's nine months and nine years, a.k.a. nine years and nine months. So 10 years, we don't have 10 years anymore. We have nine years and nine months. And by the time this election cycle's over, we have eight years. Right? I'm watching the clock on this. So we don't have tenure. They keep, it's like we always have 11 million illegal aliens. Have you noticed that? For 10 years, we've had 11 million illegal aliens. There's like half a million to a million of them coming into the country every year, but there's only 11 million. There should be 25 million, 22 million, 19 million. No, 11 million. Where, Where do they get that number from? Well, it's 11 million. Ten years on climate change. Oh, okay. Ten years? Where'd that come from? Nobody knows. It's like birthright citizenship. Where did that come from? Nobody knows. They think it was the Social Security Administration. Climate change, where'd that come from? Nobody knows. Global cooling, global warming, climate change, whatever. Whatever works. Climate change. Okay. I don't know what that means. Well, Man-made climate change. What does that mean? More taxes, more regulations, less wealth, more government. Oh, okay. And uh, 10 years, that's all we have. And then what happens exactly? What what happens in 10 years? I want to know. We only have 10 years or we're dead. What happens in 10 years from man-made climate change? I want to know. Nothing. They're not worried about illegal aliens pouring into the country over the next 10 years by the millions. No big deal. The diseases they might bring, nah, that's a reality. Some criminals and gang members that'll come in, eh, don't worry about it. Maybe terrorists will come in, eh, no big deal. But man-made climate change, boy, 10 years, that's all we've got. And then what happens? I don't know. That's all we've got. That's all we have. Now, in eight years, Medicare is broke. Ah, don't worry about that. We don't believe that. Excuse me. These are statistics. Is everyone agree? No, we don't believe it. Forget about eight years. Medicare, it's 10 years. Climate change. 
Boy, oh boy, I believe the framers of this country are probably thinking, what the hell else could we have done in the Constitution to prevent absolute, utter nitwits from gaining power? What else could we do? Nothing. Because if the people want nitwits, they get nitwits. And Cory Booker is one of the nitwits. All right, let's start at the top. Cut 11, go. That with climate change, we have 10 years to deal with it, but vulnerable communities are going to feel the impacts first. And Why? So this cannot be... Why? Why would vulnerable communities feel the impact first? Are we talking about the climate here? Is the climate racist? What kind of insanity is spewing forth here? Vulnerable communities are going to feel it first. What, if the temperature goes up and we burn to death? Vulnerable community. What? I don't get it. No, 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 you don't understand, Mark. Vulnerable communities are going to get it. Why? Do vulnerable communities live by on the ocean? Do vulnerable communities live near rivers? Do vulnerable communities live closer to the sun? I mean, what, what, why would vulnerable communities be affected first? Can somebody explain that? Go ahead. Something where we don't act with a sense of urgency. And we've got to be creative in the way we're going about what it. What is oh, with here? the way this guy talks? It's so annoying. And uh, listen, we, we, every word is breathless. He's a dimwit. He's an idiot. He was mayor in Newark. Boy, he sure turned that city around. Mayor in Newark. Senator from New Jersey. He's got all the answers. Where did all the answers come from? How did he get all the answers? Where do we go to get all these answers? The guy's a genius. He knows what's going to happen in 10 years. Man never took a, a climate change course in his entire life. But he knows exactly 10 years what's going to happen. Hey, what's the weather in 12 days? I don't know. You know, whatever. When's the next earthquake? I don't know. Don't, don't know. When's the next hurricane? I don't know. But in 10 years, all hell's going to break loose. How do you know? I just know. What about Medicare? Don't worry about Medicare. We got plenty of time. We got eight years. Go ahead. By making sure we're investing in green technologies. Giving what does that mean, green technologies? What does that mean, investing in green technologies? Seriously. And don't give me solar. What does it mean, investing in green technologies? Here we are finally energy independent. Remember when OPEC was strong in the 1970s? Those of us are old enough to remember. And you don't have to be that old. Remember even days and odd days when you could buy gasoline? Oh, we're going to be energy independent. And we even had some guys tell us we could never be energy independent. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Because we have the technological will and the technological know-how. And we're going we're gonna to get fuel. We're going to get oil and gas out of, these, out of the oil shale. All right. Sure you will. That's hundreds of years away. We'll never be able to do that. And we've done it. Now, the vast majority of us don't know how we did it. The vast majority of us weren't involved in doing it. But we did it. We did it. The position of the left used to be Spread the wealth. The position of the left today is destroy the wealth. Destroy the wealth. Should not we be celebrating the fact that we're energy independent? 
Why aren't we selling? That, that, is, that is a massive accomplishment for a society. We don't have to import oil from anywhere anymore. We don't have to import natural, natural gas from anywhere anymore. We are energy independent. May I hear a hallelujah? May I hear a hallelujah? What? What? We have 10 years to survive? Well, I just took out a 30-year mortgage. Why the hell didn't anybody tell me we have 10 years to survive? I didn't, but you get the point. 10 years to survive? Why didn't you tell me that two years ago, that we had 12 years to survive? What happened? You didn't tell me we had 12 years to survive two years ago. I was listening very carefully. You didn't say to you, we got 12 years. All of a sudden, you got 10 years. What? Where'd that come from? Well, Cory Booker, he knows. Chuck Todd, he knows. He can't have any of those man-made climate deniers on his show. This is like a big Saturday Night Live skit, isn't it? Isn't that what we're living through here? And it's not funny. It's stupid. You look on TV, what do you see? Stupid people. You turn to the news, what do you see? Stupid people. People want to be president. Stupid people. Well, 10 years from now, I'll tell you what. We have 10 years. What does that mean? We have 10 years. What the hell does that mean, we have 10 years? It means nothing. This is sick. Insane. I'll be right back. Mark Levin says today... What the backbenchers will repeat tomorrow. Call Mark at 877-381-3811. You know, I thought Republicans stood for free markets. Apparently not. Why are Senators Rick Scott and Josh Hawley joining Bernie Sanders in introducing socialist price control legislation for drugs? You know, we have to have a solution for the high cost of drugs, but I warned you that the Democrats will use this issue to impose European-style medicine as a solution. What I don't understand is why Republicans Scott and Hawley are going along with it, do you? In Europe and everywhere else that has price controls, pharmaceutical investments have dried up. That's the way it works. You know this. The United States has remained the world leader in biopharmaceutical research precisely because we don't have price controls. You know, those, uh, those countries that Bernie Sanders points to, they need us. We develop most of the world's medicines. Did you know that? And then, of course, the Chinese steal it, but that's a whole other story. Now, if we had gone along with Europe in dictating drug prices, millions of Americans would not have access to the drugs that help them live healthier, longer, productive lives. Because those drugs wouldn't even exist. Imposing price controls now will mean lost access to today's wonder drugs, lost hope for tomorrow's breakthrough treatments for all kinds of horrific diseases. Is this what Senator Scott and Hawley want? Well, we can't let that happen, which is why I've been speaking out. I would encourage you to get the facts. Go to TrueHealthCareFacts.com, TrueHealthCareFacts.com. That's TrueHealthCareFacts.com. Brian Stelter at CNN may not realize this, but he's become a laugh line. He's become a laugh line, not just in conservative media, but they laugh behind his back over there at CNN. 
the whole uh, low IQ crowd over there. They do. They laugh behind his back. He's a peculiar young man in so many ways. But he's a journalist. And how did he become a journalist? He just is. Oh. And uh, Dane and Dad, can you imagine living this guy's life? How miserable he must be. He's got two things on his wife and not uh, on his mind and not his wife. He's got two things on his mind. Trump and Fox. That's it. Maybe that's all he can handle. Maybe that's all a person with a negative 12 IQ can handle. I'm guessing. I don't know. But it's Trump and Fox and Fox and Trump, Trump, Fox, Fox, Trump. That's all it is. And he's the media reporter. But he is. And, of course, uh, old BS Brian Stelter was on uh, CNN yesterday. Here's what he had to say. Cut 12. Go. Look, it's yet another example of, of what we're seeing. This administration's attack against the media it takes many forms. Yes, One yes. form is the president having a rally uh, this Saturday instead of attending the dinner. Uh, oh, oh, the oh, 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 excuse me. You mean the White House Correspondents' Dinner? The, the dinner. It's now called The Dinner? Oh, a little full of yourself. Aren't you, Squirt? So there's BS, a.k.a. Brian Stelter, a.k.a. Squirt. One form is the president having a rally Saturday instead of attending the dinner. Now, why would he attend the dinner? So they can bring up another third-tier comic to trash him? So he can sit in front of people who've called him a Nazi and a white supremacist and a racist and an anti-Semite? So he can sit in front of people who would love nothing more than to hang him by his foot on the telephone pole outside of the hotel ballroom? Who would do that? I can't even get these clowns on my show. I can't get Chuck Todd on my show. Fill in the blank. But the president's supposed to show up with a thousand of the lowest low lives in Washington, D.C.? who have tried to destroy him, who want to try to destroy him, who have repeated lies in many cases, who have fabricated stories, who have been receptive to felonious leaks by individuals within the government, wouldn't we all want to sit in front of those people? I mean, he'd be stupid if he did that. But you see, for old B.S. Brian Stelter, that's a laugh line. That's Trump again, attacking the First Amendment and freedom of the press. Because he's going to go to a rally instead of attending the dinner. The dinner. What a spectacle. I was invited to the dinner this year. I have been in the past too. And I said, no, I don't want to go to the dinner. I've got other things to do. Other things to do. Like make sure we have enough toilet paper in the house. Go ahead. Mostly because of uh, what it means about these tensions continuing to escalate. It makes, you, it makes you wonder, you know, there's been all this talk in the lower report about the president uh, making orders, making orders and then being ignored. Yesterday, he told Kaylin Collins, nobody Why, disobeys is, is, is this guy on something? The way he's rambling and talks faster and he gets himself worked into a tizzy? Is, it, is this guy, is he, is, he, is he confused? Do they smoke pot over there at Cena? What's going on exactly? And what about Caitlin Collins? What are you talking about? 
Is that a reporter? Go ahead. And then what happens today? An order not to attend the dinner this weekend. Makes you wonder if that's all attendance or not. Makes you wonder what? What did he say, guys? Did you hear that? Makes you wonder or not. Makes you wonder or not. Wow. How perverse. How weird. Well, Brian, that's why you're at CNN. Doesn't get any lower than CNN. I used to think MSNBC, but I'm afraid it's CNN now. They're in a uh, race to the bottom, as we like to say. And by the way, Brian, how come you never report on the success of my TV show over there at Fox? Sunday night, 10 p.m. Eastern. You know, the one that you can't get enough of? You're a stalker. How come? And by the way, your buddy Philip Bump over there at the Washington Compost? What a clown. I know your friends. Go to the same seminars together. Demean the same people. Celebrate the same people. Ah, that press freedom. They're doing a great job over there. Well, let's go to regular Americans as opposed to irregular Americans like uh, Brian Stelter. Andy, Scranton, Pennsylvania, the Mark Levin app. How are you, sir? Doing a right, sir. Thank you for taking my call. You bet. Hey, I, uh, I'm currently a truck driver. I just retired from the military last year. Thank you, I sir. I want to say thank you because you are my teacher when it comes to the Constitution, and you break it down in the meat and potatoes that I need every day. And I download all your podcasts, and I just let it wash over me as I'm running down the road in this big truck, and I find myself saying to little cars, get out of my way, you little car. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're very kind, and I want to thank you for your service, too. Thank you, sir. How doesn't it speak to the man's character that President Trump said that this can never happen to another president? He's more worried about the office office of the presidency than he is about himself. You're right. And that's what all of this is about right now, battling these subpoenas. He'll be um, uh, defending separation of powers in the office of the presidency. You're exactly right. He's defending the uh, the Constitution. Now, the Democrats aren't defending the Constitution. They don't even like the Constitution. No, and, you know, and ever since he made that comment about Adam Schiff, I can't look at that man the same way. It's bad enough that when I hear the man speak, it makes my blood boil. It's kind of like uh, when you're talking about uh, Mr. Trey Gowdy. I can't look at him the same anymore. Every time I see him, his, his hairstyle is different. I just can't. Well, no offense, but I don't mean to offend the gentleman, but am I right? You are absolutely right, but it's a true statement. And uh, I but, say uh, this, go with one type of hairstyle and be done with it. <laughs> I mean, you're not going to fix it. it. It is what it is. <laughs> so, Or wear a hat. Do something. <laughs> absolutely. Thank you for your time, sir. I mean, that Dennis the Menace look has been going a long time just saying, listen, don't go yet, Andy. I want to make sure you get a signed copy of my book when it turns when it comes out. All right? Don't hang up. And thank you for your service. All right. Shall we continue? How about Phyllis in Paducah, Kentucky, the great K-P-E-L? Go. Hey, Mark. Good evening, honey. Good morning. Good, ooh. Good evening, Phyllis. Nice to speak with you again. Thank you. We are so tired. Okay. 
the Democrats wanted to protect Mueller so he wouldn't get fired so he could bring out this report, just knowing there would be something against President Trump. Nothing was found. They want to continue. Now, who in their right mind would ever vote Democrat in any election because they're not sitting up there doing anything for the ones that put them in office? All they want to do is go after the president. They're doing nothing for us. They've got blinders on. Well, let's hope they're hurting themselves, right? Absolutely. That's all they're doing. I mean, Bernie, Bernie's out there. I mean, he thinks terrorists should have the right to vote. (laughs) I know it's, it's, it's really sick. Sorry. I shouldn't laugh. Well, you don't want to know why he thinks terrorists should have the right to vote. Because he thinks they'll vote for him. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Just like immigrants, illegals should have the right to vote. Really? Uh, Yeah, exactly. All right, my friend, I appreciate your call. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. President Trump says America will never be a socialistic country. That is a socialist country. Couldn't be more right, could he? That's why it's so troubling that a proposal from the Department of Health and Human Services would move us in that direction. The International Drug Pricing Index would adopt socialist price controls set by foreign countries. Today, Americans get access to cutting-edge therapies for diseases like cancer nearly two years before other countries. The future holds incredible promise for fighting diseases, like MS and Alzheimer's. The HHS proposal would cripple America's world-leading medical innovation. We would have fewer new cures. They'd be harder to obtain. We should control costs with market-based reforms by fostering competition and by making other countries pay their fair share, not with socialist price controls that copies other countries. Keep America great by keeping American medical innovation great. Visit protectmypartb.org, protectmypartb.org, paid for by Americans for Tax Reform, a great group. So Medicare is going broke in eight years, and Cory Booker is talking about man-made climate change. The end will come in ten. Well, I got to thinking about this during the break, Mr. Producer. If the end is coming in ten years, then don't bother with Medicare. If it's coming in eight years, it's only two years where people have to fend for themselves. And if America's coming to the end in 10 years, well, why should we be paying payroll taxes into Medicare and Social Security? Why should we agree to a $1.5 or $2 trillion infrastructure project if America's coming to end the end in 10 years? Why keep paying into big government if America's going to be ending in 10 years? I have a lot of questions but nobody's around to answer them. Can you imagine that? They're all over CNN, the constipated news network. I call it that because look at the people on CNN. What's the first thing that comes to mind? Either they're constipated or you are, right? It's one or the other. They either cause it or they are it. Let us go to Roy, Nina, Wisconsin, the great WSAU. Go. 
Hello, Roy. Hello. I want to thank you, Mr. Levine, you, Rush, and all you guys that are doing a great job. But I'm just so sick and here of these <laughs> talk show hosts and everything, yes. night shows. Yes. All they're doing is cutting down the president. Now, ain't that bullying? Ain't that harassment? You know what I mean? You, you mean you can't do that, so how can they keep doing this? You, you know what's interesting? You're onto something. Where do conservatives go if they want to watch an entertaining comedy show late at night? It's very sickening. You know, and it's like, if, if they can't, if we can't get something back against them, say, hey, you know, enough is enough. You know, we've all had enough. Let him do his job. He's doing a good job of doing it. And the thing is, is if they don't, if they get away with this, then a person like me or other people are going to say, well, hey, politicians can do it. So then what's that going to lead to? More, more crime, more war? I, I suspect guys like you aren't going to take this sitting down. I'm not talking about violence or anything, but politically, you're going to be furious. And what they're going to create, the Democrats are really on the, uh, on the line of doing this, is a permanent divide in this country. You can see where the vast majority of Republicans detest the media. Not because they detest freedom of the press, quite the opposite. We support freedom of the press. But that's what the media have become. And if the rules are that we win an election and they're able to dislodge a president and disenfranchise tens of millions of us, that's going to be a huge problem for this country going forward. A huge problem because you and I, we're not going to tolerate the election of Democrats after that. We're going to try and do the same thing to them. Yeah, and it's just going to be total chaos. All around. Yeah. All right, my friend, I appreciate the call. I like Levine. Is that a good name, you think? Isn't that me? Nobody's ever called me Levine before. I've been called a lot of things. First time in 18 years. Doesn't that mean the wine in French? Levine? Ah, what do I know? Bridget. Point Pleasant, New Jersey. The great WPGG. Go. Oh, my God, Mark Levin, what would we do without you? Oh, you're I, very kind. I just, I just want to make a comment. Um, I, I, I listened to you. I stumbled on you a couple of years ago. And by the way, that was very painful. <laughs> Wait, and it's, it's taken me almost that long just to get through. You're, you're, you are a great constitutionalist. You're, you're a great teacher. Uh, I have learned so so much Thank from you. you. And I'll tell you something. Some of the other hosts, by the way, but go right ahead. I bet I bet they have. And you know what's amazing yes. is um, I don't watch TV at all. Once uh, President Trump was elected, I, and I saw and I heard, that's when I started listening to you a couple of years ago when you said that there was going, they were going to create a path to impeachment. I, I just thought in my brain, is this at all possible? And, and it has come to fruition. And I'll tell you something. I, I, I am Latin. Okay. I'm Hispanic. I'm 30. You're a Latinx. I was born here. Yes. I'm as American as I don't know what. And I'll tell you, it's so scary to see what is going on free. Nobody wants to pay for anything. This, this divide that's being created this narrative, this mob media, I love when, 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 when I hear you say these things, because you know what? It's, if we don't vote and reelect Donald Trump again in 2020, I believe it's going to be over. Because we cannot, we cannot survive 
socialism. Venezuela is a perfect example. But forget Venezuela. Cuba's always been there to remind us what's going on. And forget Cuba. How about New Jersey? Hey, how about San Francisco? You're right. How about these blue, deep blue states? Yes, everybody's trying to leave them. Have you noticed? Yes, yes. Listen, Bridget, I have to go. You're a terrific caller. Don't hang up. I want to give you a copy of my book signed when it comes out. And uh, wonderful call. I much appreciate it. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Folks, please go to Amazon.com this evening. Look up Unfreedom of the Press. Go ahead and order it. It's 40% off. I'm telling you, it's going to help us. It's going to help the country. I'll see you tomorrow.